and welcome to this morning's session on Focus on Asia. Um, and uh, obviously Asia is a very big area with a lot going on and we're not going to cover it all in an hour, but we're just going to focus on a few key areas. Um, so we've got uh, Biran Ghosh from India and um, Trevor Lai from China um, to talk about a few uh, key opportunities, um, particularly in uh, developments in India and uh, ways that UK producers can work together uh, with, um, with Indian studios and developments in China. Um, so we're going to start off with, with Biran, um, who is the, uh, the head of Technicolor uh, in India, who worked with some, some very big, um, big companies like DreamWorks, and, uh, but he's also the president of ABI, the Association of Bangalore Animation Industry. Um, and he's going to talk about some developments in India and uh, ways that uh, UK studios and um, creatives can engage with the uh, Indian, the burgeoning Indian animation industry. So I'll hand over to Biran. That's a presentation for you. Good morning and uh, proud to be here for the second year in a, in a row at Sheffield. Um, I think. Uh, uh, I'm going to use some slides and I'm going to make some comments and I'm really going to look forward to questions and answers so that we can customize what we want to talk about depending on, on, on who you are and what your particular area of interest is. But I thought it would be appropriate for us to start with uh, the media jungle that we are all a part of and uh, the flora, fauna and foliage differ across which part of the world we are based in. But the complexities of navigating media I think are something that is common to all of us. And I think conference, conferences like this help to distill thoughts about what the next route through that jungle might be. So just to start with some cheerful slides, uh, the children's uh, media space is one that often races far ahead of what people that can provide for it can do. And in any business, if your market is moving faster than your ability to keep up with it, then apparently, according to the management schools, that's what your company starts to become like. And, and the purpose of this conversation is to see how we will not become dinosaurs. For those of you who were there for the keynote on the first day, uh, we were reminded that most of the businesses we participate in are in great danger of uh, achieving that status. We were also told, and we constantly are aware, that consumer choices and the way people engage with what we create for them is changing very, very dramatically. And it's all becoming uh, a, a very, very different space. I think the music industry has taught us many things about what might happen in other formats. And I think one of the things that we are looking to do collaboratively across uh, continents is to figure out how we can create future businesses at a time when uh, the world is looking at getting a premium from freemium. So with those opening thoughts, let me give you some clarity. Okay, everyone needs to figure out uh, how to create better television and audiovisual content. And uh, for about 100 years, my company Technicolor has been grappling with trying to make the pixel clearer and clearer, and we have 42,000 patterns, which is how I get my salary paid, and which also allows us to indulge in 
the more complex uh, businesses of animation and visual effects that we'll talk about in a few minutes. But I think for all of us, uh, and I'm going to take a little poll around the room later on, uh, I think it's all about tilting at windmills with new ideas and new technologies. And I think that's where the collaborative process of leveraging strengths that are available in the Western world with leveraging strengths that are available in the Eastern world is really what I think this panel is, is supposed to do. So moving forward, I encourage you not to read that slide for two reasons. One, uh, that it breaks my principle of not showing you words or figures. And number two, it's at least two years old. So I'm going to give you more relevant numbers than on that screen. But I thought that we should talk about how the numbers are beginning to stack up in a relatively small economy like India. We're only the 12th or 13th largest economy in the world. And the opportunity for people like us in media, just because we are born optimists, is that we have media contributing to approximately 0.5% of our country's GDP. Whereas in the UK and other parts of the world, media and entertainment or the creative industries contributes about five or six times that percentage to the local GDP. So we have a, a long way to go. And I think in the digital world with a, a greater harnessing of uh, money that is leaked to piracy and other forms of, of, of uh, inefficiencies, we'll start to make these numbers look dramatically better in the next few years. But just to give, put it in context, uh, the media business in India is approximately, yeah, that's, a, that's, that's my audio, audio effects thing. Uh, it's a 15, 15 billion, it's a 15 billion dollar industry in, in, in 2013 and grew at approximately 12% annually over the past five years. We're now looking at this industry growing approximately 14% over the next five years. So as compared to many other far more mature industries in India and in, in, in Asia in general, media and entertainment is really a skyrocketing business relatively speaking. In that space, television is the dominant medium. Although you might have heard and seen around you on airplanes and, and on streets that Bollywood is, a, is an all-pervasive uh, format for representing Indian content, Bollywood is the only, or let's, let's call it films, the Indian film industry is the only part of the seven or eight or nine sectors of the media industry in India that has not had that growth rate in the last five to seven years that the other sectors have. So it's very much about television, it's very much about new media, and substantially it's very much about digital production. And I'll come to that in a minute. The other thing which really came across to me in the conference this year and the last year is everyone talking about mobile and the internet and what will happen when content is enabled by that format. And I should just tell you, that this is India's big, big growth area and a phenomenal place for anyone in the audience or creators in this part of the world to road test what they want to do in terms of making something quickly, economically, and getting a large user, user base. We have, uh, across our 1.2 billion people, only 215 million people that currently use the internet. But out of that, more than half of them do so on the mobile. So while the last mile connectivity and so on is not yet there in homes across the country, 
We're looking at the internet connectivity being about a half a billion people in 2018. That's in the next four to five years. And 350 million people will be accessing mobile on internet on their mobile with the advent of the smartphones and 3G and so on. Just to put this in perspective again, about three years back, 80% of all phones in India were not smartphones. One year back, 80% of all phones in India are smartphones. So that just gives you the kind of pace at which this whole, this whole industry is changing and the platforms are changing around us. And be it gaming consoles, be it the phone, be it any form of tablet, I think the next five years is going to be substantially different in terms of how the screen ager looks at his or her content, particularly in the kids' world. We're going to come in a few minutes to what these numbers mean, but it's really the interpretation of these numbers and the recommendation of policy to the government of India and the bridges that we are forming with other countries that occupies uh, our Saturdays and Sundays as industry people when we participate in our association, which is ABI. So let me come more specifically, and I encourage you not to read the menu on the right-hand side, uh, only because it's not being served today uh, until midday. Um, and at midday, you'll have a Technicolor-sponsored lunch. The, uh, the menu card, I think, which really is something we need to wrap our heads around across this room and across, uh, across our two spaces in the Western and Eastern world, is how to make sure that when we produce content, individually or collectively, in one or more partnerships, that we figure out how to handle what I would call the five-headed monster. And many of the projects that were developed between the UK and India, or indeed between the Western world and other parts of Asia, have usually suffered somewhat because people do not necessarily understand that to create a long-form program, be it live-action television, be it animation, particularly animation and visual effects, you really need, of course, talent, but equally you need technology which changes every two years. You need infrastructure because it's heavy files being transported back and forth for approvals. You need to understand the commerce and the financing of it. There are always huge gaps between what you bid for and what finally comes out. And last but not least, the piece that actually does not seem to work is to have the production savvy to make sure that this creative and technology industry stays on the rails on time to the spec that you want. So I think in some parts of the world we've seen that the Asia advantage in making that happen in the technology world has been very, very savvy and very, very successful. Whereas in the media world, we are still trying to figure out how we can make all of that happen. Look at the plight, therefore, of a small to medium-sized uh, production company in the UK, as an example, that goes and ties up with a small to medium-sized company in India. And how would people in one part or the other figure out how that partner, which, who, who seems to be very cogent, who seems to be very savvy at MIPTV or MIPCOM or at the CMC, is actually going to last that journey on all those five counts across that project. And I think that's really what we need to now mature our thinking processes towards. And I think that's really what we are committed as ABI to doing. As a large company, Technicolor's success is 
is really, along with other large companies, in being able to make sure that we balance all those five parameters and make sure that the, you know, the chain is only as strong as the weakest link on, on, that, on that menu. And I think uh, some of the conversations we want to have going forward is how do we certify that, how do we assure that, and how do we create a, a, a level of offering a number of locations and partners that you can engage with uh, across that chain. So um, it is as important as writing something that will make somebody come and consume it. There has been a phenomenal learning only in the last five to seven years in India. And I throw that slide up, although it's, it's, it's not very pretty visuals, just to give you an example of the 100 or 200 amazing projects that could not have been produced in India eight to 10 years ago and have been produced in India in the last four or five years. And that slide now is two years old. We've learned from the best. The, the learnings that come in terms of how to create a predictability in a difficult business like media comes from learnings from a number of our clients, I mean, Warner, Disney, Sony, Ubisoft, you know, EA, Nickelodeon, uh, and many others, have really taught us that it's not a crapshoot. They have taught us that basically when you make a movie that is $100 million or more, there is a certain process you put in place to look at the predictability of how you develop it, how you, how you pre-produce it, how you produce it, and how you take it to market. And obviously, there are, there are ups and downs in, 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 in this game. But if you look at it over, over a five or 10 year period, I think there is, a, there is a certain method to that madness. And it comes from them being, we always assume in our world that those companies are content producers. But actually, they're consumer product companies. They're people that start with deep consumer insights. They then go actually outside in and try and figure out how to create content that works for audiences at various periods of time. And I think all of us in, in these conferences are trying to look for those same insights and those same mechanisms for a predictability of outcome. I also talk about the advertising community. I would just like to say that in India, the most sophisticated learnings that have come out in creating communication have come through the advertising and communication world. And I think that if we are becoming more successful in creating content for television and film and, and so on today, and even for new platforms, this really has come in through the discipline and the rigor that brands have when they create communications for themselves. We've had a number of the international majors that came in and set up shop in India and created uh, a community of people that are directors, cinematographers, and people who could actually work to a very tight brief and make sure that they create very crisp and clear content in a way that is on budget and on target and can actually produce a result or be measured in, in the world, real world. And I think we should continue to look at, at how short form communication like advertising will influence digital media and even influence uh, long form content. So there, have been, there has been a big rush of companies that have gone from the west to the east in order to get a, an advantage of pricing, to get an advantage of speed, and in order to try to make things happen without necessarily hiring a lot of people in their own team or investing in a lot of infrastructure that might get outdated in a year or two. And like in any business, the problem that we've seen in this big rush 
We see the, the India Pavilion, the China Pavilion, the Korean Pavilion, and all the other pavilions at MIP TV, all meeting many other people and producers making brisk deals, you know, because they have to get to the after party in two hours. And, 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 and the problem with any business is, is really this. This is the problem with every business. We tend to follow the herd. Everyone is now, two people start working in India or in China, 10 people will start working in India, China. They haven't gone through that menu card that we saw earlier. They, they don't know how they can do due diligence 6,000 miles away. They don't know where the go-to place is for them to get information. And, and then it sometimes becomes a problem. I just want to pause here to say that I think there are some phenomenal opportunities that, that all of you in the room have in looking at how to collaborate with India and indeed with other parts of Asia. And I think that comes in from the whole process, the value chain of production. If we were to look at development, pre-production, production, and post-production, in the digital world of animation and visual effects and, and in fact kids' content, the experience that this part of the world has in developing ideas, in actually looking at the uh, creating, creating the initial thought, the initial Bible, the initial trailers, the initial look and feel, uh, figuring out how these stories can work more universally, is, uh, is far ahead of what has actually happened in the Asian countries. Because Japan has always created content for itself. Korea now, increasingly, will create content only for itself. India has always created content for itself. Okay, and so on and so forth. And therefore, the, the development process of creating iconic global properties is something that maybe is just a thought in the minds of people in the eastern part of the world because they've always looked at the home market. Whereas actually when you, you are looking to create the difficult task of creating a show that will be syndicated or collaborated uh, or sold across the world in the UK or in Europe or in the US, you are looking at a world market and from that point of view have the maturity in writing, in designing, in developing, in composing for the world market. And as we look at a more global world, as the boundaries uh, kind of melt away, uh, I think that is the unique opportunity that you can provide uh, both for your, provide, provide this market both for yourselves and your own content, but also you can provide that perhaps as a service or as a partnership in helping the Asian countries to develop and create and pre-produce content that can be, uh, that can hit the mark more, more quickly and more accurately uh, until those parts of the world mature in that same process. So there's a huge opportunity in, in that front end process of development that, that the UK and, 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 and this part of the world can provide to, to, a, to Indian uh, companies. I'm gonna rush through my next few because I think I'm kind of out of time. Uh, I just wanted to, uh, say that the big, big thing that is happening in India right now, uh, and that's a, a still from uh, the movie we worked on, World War Z, with, 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 with our clients and, and Brad Pitt's first production. The huge amount of work that's happening is really visual effects. Uh, visual effects provides that fantastic combination of looking at the technology DNA and the, and the storytelling DNA of, of Indian artists, and is a, is a market that's growing quicker and faster and more exponentially than, uh, than any other. Uh, we have a company called MPC, which all of you know is uh, headquartered in London, 
and has now become one or two or three of the largest companies in the world, not, uh, not insignificantly because of the fact that a very substantial part of the team now rests in India. Uh, if we look at the work done by that team just in the last one month, uh, MPC between London, Montreal and India actually produced the visual effects for the f those four movies on the screen. And this is the economic value of what you can provide. I was looking at, the, uh, at Rotten Tomatoes and the box office last night. I think these four movies in the first 30 days before DVD, before global distribution is completed, have already grossed about $3.8 billion. And I think the point I'm making here is stories don't change, packaging changes. And I think the way to collaborate between this part of the world and India is to look at the higher forms of packaging that digital production creates through animation and through CGI and through visual effects. So there's some light coming in through that deep jungle that I hope that I'm, I'm, I'm throwing out to the audience here. And that light is beginning to work in a few areas. One of them is that as iconic properties, and the UK has several iconic properties, iconic properties like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles need to take a step going from the 2D world to the CG world. That's a unique competence that I think we have begun to work with really well. That shows on, on air at Nick all over the world and doing extremely well. You saw it in the showreel at the commissioners uh, uh, yesterday. And, and, and that is a testament to what we do really well to take images that are flat 2D images and start playing with them and, and making them transcend into the world of CGI. Okay. I can't see what slides on right now, but I think it didn't go anywhere. And if you saw, as most of you might have, that fantastic climactic sequence in, at, in Skyfall where everything moves to Scotland, to Glencoe, and, and, and the Aston Martin is blown up and the helicopter crashes into that heritage building that you actually cannot destroy. And then as you drag, you know, Bond is dragged across the ice, has a fight underwater, and then comes to his final climactic moment in the chapel. All that was shot in the green screen at Guildford in London. And that part of Scotland is actually created in the eastern part of Bangalore. So, so it's all beginning to happen, you know, as, uh, right in front of you. The biggest moment that we had recently was three years ago, two years ago, we were nominated for Prometheus and for The Life of Pi. And, and, and it was a very proud moment. And, and this year for The Lone Ranger. And the point I make here is that the movie may not have done very well in the box office, but had huge critical acclaim for all the visual effects that was done out of, uh, out of our team out there. Uh, those of you who know Rockstar and play games, Grand Theft Auto is the highest grossing piece of content in the history of entertainment. 800 million in its first three days, 2.5 billion as we speak. And that was done uh, with the collaboration between Edinburgh, uh, uh, and, uh, San Diego, and Bangalore, where we have about 100 people working on assets, art, and animation for, for this iconic game in their first ever year in gaming. We have, as you mentioned, the DreamWorks team that is now uh, seven years old, lots of training, and will have their first feature film out on the 27th of November, The Penguins of Madagascar. So a lot of work, a lot of development of talent. The five-part menu, I think, has matured to the point where you've seen the last movie that came out from them. 
And uh, so finally, we want to actually make sure that you walk down this road. The road that we are creating for you is in collaboration with many partners. East-East uh, partnerships we've signed with COCA in Korea, and we're talking with Japan, and we'd like to engage with other countries. Uh, we have the East-West partnership. We work very closely with the UKTI. We are in touch with Midas here to see what we can do in Manchester. We're talking to uh, a, a number of people to create what we call the M101. And the M101 is the 101 for people that want to work between the East and the West through a motorway that, that we are here to figure out. I was proud to take the Oscar back to the people that worked on Life of Pi, and each of them held this, and it's on their Facebook. And for 26-year-old people who are about 150 strong in India, uh, we brought the Oscar to them. What we want to do now is to bring you to them as well. So thank you very much. Thank you, Baron. Uh, I think we, um, we'll try and have some questions at the end, but we're running a little bit short of time, so I want to press on straight away um, to uh, introduce uh, Trevor Lai, who's uh, uh, heads up Up Studio in China. Um, thank you, Trevor. I'll hand over to you straight away. Okay. Thanks. Well, good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for crawling out of bed after last night's party and being here with us. Um, I'm delighted to be here uh, with you today. And to start off with, as a tribute to Biren, we had a lovely conversation uh, on our first night here, and I wanted to give a context to um, the perspective I'll be speaking from. This was obviously inspired by Life of Pi. It's a painting that I, uh, that I drew uh, for one of my books. So I started off as an author and illustrator of children's books, um, and I have to give you a bit of background. Uh, English is actually my third language. Uh, so when I was born, the first language I learned is Mandarin and then Cantonese. So for those of you who are wondering why I have such a thick, heavy accent, it's because I grew up in Canada. So I'm delighted to be here because I'm presenting sort of an international perspective of a creator, independent producer, and entrepreneur who's been living, working, and uh, creating in China for a decade. So again, to give you some context of what it's like to create in China, I wanted to share a little bit about what we do at Up Studios. So our goal uh, as an animation studio in China is to create world-class entertainment. And part of what I'll be sharing with you today is some of the lessons and insights that we've learned as an independent studio trying to accomplish that. Uh, I thought it'd be fun to share something with you now. Uh, we are 30 uh, team members, full-time team members strong now in China. Uh, but when we had six, uh, we did this. about, uh, I'd say, 65% of the skill level that we're at now, um, which is about a year later now. Um, but based on the strength of some of our early work, we were very honored to be the first uh, animation studio ever invited by Apple to present a tour across Shanghai, Beijing, and Hong Kong. Uh, so we presented our animation work uh, as well as an app that we had created. 
And at the same time, we've been developing other products. And I think as a lot of independent producers have asked me, how do you make money in China? Uh, and I can tell you that animation, uh, and James will echo this, is not the fastest way. So we have looked at all different avenues, including uh, chat emoticons. So a lot of you will be familiar with Facebook Messenger and WeChat is always in the news. So we created a year ago um, emoticons based on one of our characters, Piggy in Love. And in that one year, with no advertising spend, uh, we've had over 42 million downloaded, um, and we've just signed our first licensing deal in China for money. And our next generation emoticons will be done entirely in CG. So this is work that we've produced uh, in-house over the course of just over two years. And our first pilot will be finished uh, for next month. So as James very astutely observed earlier, he said, you don't look like someone from animation. <laughs> and that could be because I've spent 10 years uh, doing business in China in the marketing and advertising world. So actually my background uh, started off whilst I was a uh, children's book illustrator and author. I was also an executive at uh, a large international advertising firm. These are just a handful of the over 200 um, brands and executive companies that have appeared on a talk show that I host. Um, so you can Google Thoughtful China. Um, and what that's allowed me to do is gather insights not just from our experiences as a startup, but also from the experiences of Fortune 500 companies who I reckon to guess have much deeper pockets than most of us in this room and the mistakes that some of them have made uh, some of the learnings uh, that they've had and some of the successes they've had. And that's really why I'm here today uh, to share with you. So I thought with given our time constraints, I should just really condense everything and I hope you have all your pens ready. I've really distilled it down to three simple things. Uh, this is completely risk-free and foolproof to get into China. So if you're ready for this now, there you go. <laughs> okay, got it? Okay, great, fantastic. <laughs> So the reality is uh, I, I went ahead and Google translated that for you. Um, so the keys to success in China, I mean, really, there is no silver bullet uh, is what I'm here to tell you as someone who speaks the language, has been living there for a decade, um, and obviously am passionate about what I do. You know, um, all of the statistics that you can look up online, I will not get into. Um, I do want to start a little bit with a few numbers that I think are part of the folklore that usually comes with China. Uh, this past Children's Day in June, seven Chinese animated films launched essentially in the same box office weekend, which I think would never happen uh, in any other market in the world. So it gives you a sense of what's, what's going on in China. 1.3 billion people constantly quoted in the media. Did you know over 1.2 billion mobile phones? And uh, recently, in the first quarter, reported 23.4 billion apps downloaded in the first quarter of this year. Now, when you think of those numbers, it's easy to know why you know, people rush in to Asia. And they think, so if I do the math, 99 cents times 23 billion, wow, you know. Um, and that's completely not how it works, because basically all of those were free or uh, jailbroken phones. And understanding China requires a really deep geography lesson, which I will not get into. But the complexity of the country is really in how it's structured, how big it is, how it's divided up into regions, into over 200, uh, 650 cities, uh, 23 provinces. Um, these are all things that a lot of people don't get into when they read the headlines. So looking beyond the numbers means really calming down, 
after you look at all the billions and millions and hundreds of millions and those sorts of numbers, and really thinking the market is extremely fragmented. There is no one China. I think if you spend time there, you'll know the provinces differ greatly. Competition is rampant. And for example, just a few years ago, there was a, a social networking site uh, called Weibo, which I think just went IPO this year in the US. And anyone who lives in China will tell you they're under extreme, extreme pressure uh, from WeChat, the likes of WeChat. And that's happened in a handful of years. So a shifting of hundreds of millions of users from one platform to the other happens in China, and it happens often. Regional players. Obviously, CCTV is a, is a big powerhouse, uh, very well um, respected and understood. But regional players within the children's market have very significant power. Um, and regulation impacts content directly. So this is something I think also is unique in China. Changes in a policy can really impact the types of content that's available to the market. And for you as a producer, that's important to be aware of. In China, size matters. So what that means specifically is don't look at the deals that you see in the headlines and think, oh, okay, you know, DreamWorks, a uh, company that I admire and, and, and I know in China, um, you know, they're setting up this big co-production, you know, uh, deal. They've got a joint venture. That means I can go in there and do something similar. Well, not unless you have Madagascar and Kung Fu Panda and How to Train Your Dragon. The size of your brand is incredibly important in China. And as I'll talk about a little bit later, relationships are built on your brand, especially when they don't know the fantastic property that you have in the UK. You trying to step into that same room and talk about those same terms is probably uh, not going to be very likely. So in terms of some tips I can offer, I think uh, one of the easiest things to do is to try to build achievements abroad. So rather than airdropping into China and pitching concepts that you think have promise, um, you know, as a small to medium-sized producer, you should really be looking at the types of awards, um, accolades that you can build up overseas. I was uh, honored to sit on a jury of the Pan Am Animation Festival uh, recently, which was a competition between French and Chinese animation uh, studios, uh, largely uh, from student entries. And that's an early portfolio piece that they'll be able to say later on, we won this prize, and it starts off from a very grassroots level. So the more achievements you can build abroad, the more partnerships you can build here, um, I think the more leverage you'll have once you go into China. Emerging trends and platforms, as I've mentioned, uh, we approach the content industry and animation industry, I think, from a very unique perspective. Um, this is due to my background in marketing and branding. When I started the company, I knew we could not be a linear animation uh, studio, just you know, producing concepts and IP you know, on a two to four year uh, timeline and waiting to see what the response would be like. So we adopted sort of what I call the Pixar and Silicon Valley model and merged them together. Reproduce those emoticons as you saw within six months of my founding the company. Um, you know, we were in Apple within two years um, you know, presenting our app. So looking at other new media opportunities means keeping up with the latest technology and trends which change very rapidly in China. Uh, regional programming is something that I mentioned earlier, and regulatory policies. Uh, there are major announcements in the news all the time. You have to dig a little bit deeper uh, to find them, but uh, it would be very prudent of you to uh, stay abreast of those developments. The second thing is evaluating and adapting your content. I've had the pleasure of speaking with a lot of content creators here with a lot of exciting ideas, wanting to know how they get into China. And the first thing I, I, I asked them is, are you sure you should be in China? Um, and the first thing you need to do is really evaluate your content. 
is it appropriate for the Chinese market? So that begs the question, do you know who your market in China would be? Broadcasters, online platforms, schools, all very, very different bodies within China, all requiring an incredible amount of information, um, research, and contacts within those um, um, industries. So it requires a lot of research and a lot of self-evaluation. And that last question is actually probably the most important one. How will you make money? Um, you know, as some of the panelists have already mentioned, you know, it's actually getting to China is not the hardest part. It's once you're there, how do you make money? How do you survive? And this is a very real question where you can't say, I'll figure it out later. You should really, unless you have huge, enormous uh, pockets, you should be thinking about it now before you even uh, really invest it and set up shop. So in terms of keys to success, once you have done this evaluation program, um, you know, I really encourage you to adapt your IP. I have yet to see um, an example of a completely green property that was taken as is and sold into the Chinese market. Obviously, big hits, uh, international studios, they bring in properties all the time. Because they have the brand, because size matters in China, I've yet to see an independent producer with a you know, US property. Um, unproven, brought into China and say, just dub this in Chinese and let's put her on TV. I've yet to see that happen. So the adaptation process is really important. The earlier you are in your development process, I think the earlier you can build this in. And that means beyond dubbing, perhaps redesigning your characters, looking at your storytelling. Does this suit the Chinese audience? Be realistic. Blockbuster deals, the ones that we get so excited about and so happy about, like the DreamWorks deals of the world, um, they are very, very rare. So for the majority of people, you have to go for lower hanging fruit, um, set your expectations a little bit lower, and then build up from there. And maybe one day you will get those types of deals. And build an audience on other platforms. So I think relying on television is something that is uh, very risky uh, to do in China. So it's one of the reasons that we looked at other platforms like chat, messaging, um, online video, uh, as well as apps. Preparation, the three Ps. Uh, preparation, partners, and patience. Um, so I'm ending on these three because I think they're absolutely critical to succeeding in China and maintaining your sanity. Uh, researching the market for your IP really involves spending time in China. I encourage people to go there, uh, visit there, set up meetings, um, meet with companies there to provide some of this uh, insight before you really start investing. And it also enable you to find the right partners because I personally think that in China, um, as a, if you're a foreign uh, developer or a foreign content developer or producer, it'll be very difficult, um, nay impossible, um, to build a brand and a substantial franchise in China without partners. So by doing the due diligence and the preparation, you'll be able to find out who are the right partners. And once you have those partners, you'll then be able to be on the ground and do proper research and due diligence into whether or not these are the partners who can actually make deals happen. I can't tell you the number of times I've talked to people who say I'm in talks with so-and-so or I know so-and-so in the government or my friend knows so-and-so in the government and three years later I see the same person and they're like, they're still in talks with so-and-so in the government. And you know, governments change, you know, people change in, in positions of power. And I think a lot of times it's due to the fact that they're relying on word of mouth, they're relying on really intangible um, things. And nothing beats being on the ground and meeting with these people face to face, talking to them, asking smart questions, um, and really doing your due diligence. 
And relationship building can be in slow and opaque process. I think partners such as government are very important uh, in China. Partners uh, such as the Yu Young Medias of the world and the Tsuwens of the world, these are very important partners. You need to spend time because they are inundated with uh, requests from foreign players, many of them probably larger than a lot of the independent producers in this room. So to spend that time and, and build that relationship, I think, as I said earlier, building your achievements abroad, establishing a track record, will help facilitate those conversations and make sure you're still part of the picture as the industry grows and changes. And lastly, after all that positive news, I wanted to leave you with one of my favorite uh, proverbs, um, and it's something I actually have in my office. Because, you know, I think China is, I've been there doing business and traveling there for, for a decade and living there for eight years. Um, you know, I love it. I love being in China. I'm so excited about Up Studios being built there. Um, but I'm also excited about interacting with international companies because I think there's so much we can learn as storytellers, as artists, as filmmakers in China from the world. And so, you know, I, I hope this presentation has been just a, a sort of a, a grounder for you but not to discourage you, but to help you succeed in pursuing your dreams into China, because I think it's something that will benefit partners uh, within and without the, uh, the country. So thank you so much.